Hi everybody and welcome to episode 10 of Episodes. Episode 10 is the season 1 finale episode so I want to thank you for listening and I hope you'll be back when I come back with more. I'm pausing now to finish writing my second novel, 99 Problems. You can read the first chapter on my website, lesliequigless.com and if you sign up for my newsletter, Faux Crew, you can read the first four chapters. If you have any trouble finding any of that, just shoot me an email at leslie at lesliequigless.com. But my goal is to finish that work and get an agent and publish that book traditionally as opposed to self-publishing it. We will see what happens. And when I tell you that I think, I think that book is good, I think it's really good. So that's what I will be up to. I might send periodic updates. I don't know. But anyway, so today's episode is from Sylvie's perspective and is titled Coffee or Acid in the Morning. So in Sylvie's last episode, she unexpectedly meets Connie, Sabrina's twin sister at Ginger, the super fancy restaurant where she, Sylvie, works. And she also tells Trey that she is pregnant by him and she's not quite sure what to make of his response. So that's where her storyline left off. And here we go. Episode 10, Sylvie. Coffee or acid in the morning. I can't reach Trey. He's not picking up any of his phones and I have all of them. His work cell, his personal cell, his office, Even that Blackberry he uses for work, because apparently that's the most secure brand. He even gave me his home phone number, and he doesn't give that to anybody. I haven't used it yet, but if he keeps suddenly being unavailable, then then I will... I groan and roll over in my bed. My stomach is cramping super hard. Why doesn't anybody talk about the cramps you get when you're pregnant? And I need to throw up again and eat again. I've been pregnant before, of course, but the level of ugh is too much every time. And then Trey isn't speaking to me? What the fuck? The last thing he'd said at the restaurant after that bullshit about how we'd get through this like this was a tax audit was that he'd call me the next day before he'd come over. We were going to shower together, everything. Well, it's four days later and nothing. I have to throw up. Now, I stand, pad to the bathroom, stoop over the toilet, and let the contents of my breakfast struggle up and out. Flush toilet, heave in and out short, gruff breaths while groping for the package of nasty peanut butter crackers on the sink. They're so nasty, those little orange crackers. But as with every pregnancy, they're the only thing I can keep down at this stage. Well, when I've let it get to this stage... Pull the package down to me, tear it open, force one, two, three, four, five, six crackers down my dry throat. But I know what's happening. I know what he's doing. I've been here before too many times. Usually the higher class ones are a little subtler about it, but then again, not always. He's leaving me. I stand up and look in the mirror. Despite feeling like total and utter shit, I'm radiant. I turn to one side, pull up my tank top and pat my still flat stomach. Not really showing yet, but then I'm only nine weeks along, 
I just look full and glowing at this point. My skin is dewy. My big boobs are bigger. My hips and thighs are fuller. And of course, my hair, courtesy of some Indian woman I'll never meet. And Bruce, my stylist at Urban Locks, falls in long, soft, amber-golden waves of layered grain just beneath my shoulders. The natural hair movement that swept the nation can kiss my whole ass. I look like I've been plumped and pumped with happy weight, like a size 12 Marilyn Monroe, only I'm still around a size 6 to 8. Normally, I'm a strong 6. Can pregnant women take aspirin? I can never remember. The phone rings in the living room. Maybe it's Trey? And I dash for the couch. It's Camille. I sigh, careful not to touch the phone so I don't accidentally pick up. I'm just not ready to talk to her about this yet. I want to be past the sixth stage before I have to hear her mouth. I don't know how I'm going to manage to avoid her for another couple of weeks, but uh uh-uh. I cannot deal with all of that right now. And while the phone is in my hand, I dial him again. All the numbers. But nothing. I sit on the couch. I grab for a pillow. I burst into violent sobs. I can't believe this is happening. I know some people would say that this is exactly what I deserve for fucking with a married man, but things aren't always black and white like that. Trey pursued me. He's the one who talked about wanting babies with me. He's the one who said he wanted to take me to all these fancy places. He's the one saying I'm the only person who really gets him and who likes him for him and whom we can talk to about anything. He's the one who... He's the one. I stopped crying as suddenly as I'd started. Trey is the one for me. The realization dawns soft and sweet upon me, loosens my grip on the pillow, makes me forget my nausea and cramps. I don't care that he's a senator. That shit is nice, but he could be a barber for all I care. I love him. I love him, love him. I don't care about anything else. I just want to have this baby with him. I really love him. Like, I love him. Like, I've never loved anybody before. I scramble to my feet. I know what I have to do now. I have to tell him. I have to make him see how much I love him. Once he sees that, once he really gets it, he'll he'll come around. Because I do really get him. I do like him for who he is. And he's told me a lot of stuff because he can talk to me about anything. I've talked to him about a lot of stuff, too. And we can talk about this as well. I dab at my face with the heel of my hand. No need to smear tears everywhere. And I stand. Now what am I going to wear? Because this could be the most important outfit of my life. Because it's the outfit I'll be wearing when I win Trey back over to me. When I pull up to Trey's office, it's empty. No one is there. Like the whole parking lot is empty except for a car marked security. Trey's office is never empty. Trey being who he is, he works not in a fancy building downtown like his uber Republican counterpart, David Perdue, but in a simple, plain office building in East Point. It's historic East Point, close to Woodward Academy, an affluent private school, so it's not outcast East Point. But still, he knew he was making a statement, planting his office there. And he did make that statement. But anyway, the parking lot is small, but it's never empty He knew I was coming. Somehow he figured out I was coming today and he made everybody leave. But that's ridiculous. I didn't say anything to anybody about coming here. He couldn't have known. 
The thought is suddenly so ridiculous I almost laugh. And then I think, what if he's dead? What if he's dead and nobody knows it yet outside of his trusted staff? They've taken his body, his slim, brown, beautiful body, and they've brought it to a... Where do people take dead bodies? Morgues, right? Oh, Jesus. Trey's body is in a morgue somewhere, and here I am fiddling around outside in the office parking lot? Trey is not dead. Stop being stupid, Sylvie. It would be all over the news. Taking a deep breath, I grab a pack of nasty-ass peanut butter crackers and stuff them into my Tory Burch purse and climb out of the Mini Cooper and march myself through the building front doors and find a Latino security guard about to step away from the front desk. Excuse me, I shout. Excuse me. I'm louder this time and he turns around. I adjust my black trench coat and hurry towards him, my heels clacking on the hardwood floor. I decided on a peasanty blouse and a long fitted black skirt with ruffles around the hem. It really accents my newer curves and I can't walk but so fast, but I hustle to him as quickly as I can. The guard's expression changes as I get closer. First annoyed, and now interested. He doesn't want to be interested, but he is. Good. Um, I'm looking for Senator Winsome, I say. I'm a, a, a reporter. We have a scheduled interview that no speak many English, says the security guard. He doesn't want them to. He's wearing a ring and he wants to be a professional. Although, you're a security guard, dude, and you're super short. Your head just brushes my implants. But his eyes, they drag over my body nonetheless, helpless and roaming. He wants to see what's under the trench. This is nothing new. I roll my eyes inwardly. Stupid men. Uh, estoy buscando al Senator Winsome, I say quickly. In English, I'm looking for Senator Winsome. I took AP Spanish in high school, and thanks in part to Connie's help over the phone while she was in college, I aced it. The security guard blinks at my knowledge of Spanish and then tells me that Senator Winsome and his staff are at Grady for an event. El hospital or la escuela? I ask. In English, the hospital or the school, because in Atlanta, there's a Grady hospital and a Grady high school. The security guard looks at me blankly. I almost snap my fingers in his face as I repeat the question. El hospital, the guard says. His eyes turn beady on me. Eres el primo del senador? Am I the senator's cousin? What the fuck? Soy su... I begin to say that I'm his... But what am I to the senator? His mistress? The mother of his unborn child? The mother of his unborn child whom he hasn't called in four fucking days? The mother of his unborn child whom he hasn't called in four fucking days because he doesn't want us even though he told me he did? But then what does we'll get through this even mean? Soy su... I'm about to cry. God damn these hormones. Every time I turn around now, I'm crying. I'm sorry, I say. I, I mean, lo siento, lo siento. Sylvie. The security guard and I both turn, and Trey is standing by the elevator, and my heart leaps. You're not dead, I say. Trey's expression is somber, but his lips twist for a moment. Nope, he says. Not dead. He nods to the security guard. Está bien, Ramos, he says, gesturing for me to come with him up the elevator. We stand, silent and apart as always, as there are elevator cameras. I have to close my eyes as his cologne fragrance, woodsy, mixed with the smell of his skin, beautifully male, wafts discreetly towards me. 
we walk through the small, now empty maze of desks that comprise where his office normally works to his office in the back. He opens the door, lets me in, closes it behind him. He stands there at the door for an extra beat, his back to me. And I know. He turns around, walks to his desk, which is cluttered with papers. Behind him are framed photos of him and U.S. Representative and Civil Rights Titan, John Lewis. Him and the Obamas, him and Bill Clinton, him and Mara. He sits. He sighs and looks out his window. I've been meaning to call you, he says. Have you, I say. I glance again at the picture of him and Mara. They're at the 2012 Democratic National Convention. Confetti rains on them. Trey had just made a speech. It had been inspiring and totally off the cuff. Trey had actually filled in at the very last second for Nancy Pelosi, who was ill and had lost her voice. And it was evident that Trey had just been crowned the next young rising star of the Democratic Party. Mara was beaming at him, proud, and he was looking ahead, beaming at the crowd, both of them waving. I looked her up, of course. William and Mary College, a lawyer, a consultant, blah, 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 boring, 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 the boringest. Golden brown hair, neck length bob. All hers, you know I looked. Slimish build, regular tits, wholly average ass, practical, pearls, slacks, aerosols. Someone who never works out but always eats right. Or maybe she does the elliptical for 20 minutes twice a week or some bullshit. She's 45, four years older than Trey, and she looks it. Not old. I can say objectively that she's an attractive woman, or rather she's not unattractive. She just looks, I don't know, like she looked the exact same way when she was 27 and 12 and 4. She's what you'd call a handsome woman, and she's tall, 5'10 to Trey's 6'2. No kids. I asked Trey once about their sex life. He shrugged one beautiful brown shoulder, the sheet slipping down his beautiful brown torso. I mean, our connection isn't about sex, he'd said. Yeah, but do you guys ever, like, just fuck? I'd asked. He'd laughed. We make love, sometimes. I'd sat myself on top of him. And how often is sometimes? I demanded. She's a good woman, Sylvie. Trey had said instead. He'd brushed a strand of my hair off my face. Mara is good to me. And good for me. She always has been. As good as this? I'd pulled him inside of me then. I looked from the picture back to him now. He looks tired. I've been here the whole time, Trey, I say. He nods slowly. Don't you dare do this to me, I say quietly. But he looks guilty. What does a guilty look look like? It's heavy. Ugly. I know it too well. He closes his eyes. I can't, he whispers. <laughs> I can't believe this, I say. We talked about this. Sylvie, he begins, but he doesn't say anything else. We talked about this, Trey. I didn't try to make any of this happen. He puts his head in his hands. So now what? I go on. You're going to hide from me and that's it? I just go away? We just go away? Really, Trey? 
The tears come hot and furious, and I have to bite my lip to keep it from trembling in the nausea rouse a low, grumbling warning. Fuck, I mutter. I sit with a huff in one of the chairs across from Trey, reach into my purse for those nasty-ass fucking crackers, and gobble one down. I look some more at that picture, at Mara. She's staring at him, and he's staring ahead. And I'm not part of that picture. A few more years as senator, yada, yada, yada. Presidency. We joked about that once, watching a Seinfeld rerun, the yada, yada, yada one. He brought popcorn that afternoon. The popcorn kernels, you have to pop yourself. And we yada, yada, yada him to the presidency. Presidents don't leave their wives for Sylvie's and then turn around and marry Sylvie's. They fuck Sylvie's. They don't marry them. And they don't stick around to play daddy to the babies they make while fucking Sylvie's either. I stand, a little dizzy from the nausea, and Trey stands too, leaning forward as if to catch me. But of course he can't. Not all the way across from his desk. Not all the way across from being a senator. Don't touch me, I say. He comes around the desk, ignoring me, reaching for me as if to hold me. I reach for him, too, to punch him dead in his face. But he grabs my arm and, in anticipation, grabs for the other one, too. Let me go, I yell. Stop, Sylvie, he says. No, no, I'm through with this. I'm, I'm having this baby. I struggle against him. Let me go, Trey. Let me. He covers my mouth with his then, pressing me to him. And just like that. Like silk, my body sinks into his, betraying me. My mouth opens under his, my hands in his hair, holding him to me, my tray. Sylvie, he whispers hoarsely. Sylvie, Sylvie. Twenty minutes later, we lie on the carpeted floor, my skirt jacked up around my waist, his boxer shorts down to his knees, wrapped around each other. Trey looks at me his forehead glistening with a slight film of sweat. He is beautiful. So beautiful, I start to cry again. He bends an inch to kiss me, and I move away. We're done, I say. I wriggle to get from underneath him and stand. I had left my heels on, so it's a bit of a task. I pull my skirt down once I'm up. I was stupid to believe you'd leave her, I say. I was stupid to let you into my life. I was stupid to believe you'd actually want. My hands go involuntarily to my stomach. I've just been stupid, I continue. But I'm tired, Trey, and I'm sick, and I'm sick because I'm pregnant, and I'm tired because I'm pregnant, and I just don't have time to be stupid anymore. I thought the words would be harder to say than they were, but they're the truth. I get my purse out of the chair and I'm turning to the door when Trey says softly, I'm leaving her. I'm really going to leave her, Sylvie. I turn around and I don't know if it's because I'm looking down at Trey with his now flaccid penis poking forlornly above his half-twisted boxer shorts, his knees ashy above his forest green knee socks. But I realize for the first time, he's just a man. Trey is just a man. He gets to his feet. I am not going to be your whore, Trey, I say quietly. No, Sylvie, says Trey, and you've never been that to me. It's all I've been to you, I say. I try to keep my voice from shaking but fail. That's all I am to you, is someone to have a good time with, 
Someone who doesn't challenge you. Someone who's easy. Trace shakes his head. No, he says softly. You are a friend. You are someone I can genuinely talk to. And you're the mother of my child and I'm not going to leave you. He moves closer to me, closes the door behind him. Please don't leave me. Don't leave me, Sylvie. His eyes are closed, but he breathes unevenly, and then I realize he's crying. He takes my hand in his, grips them. You are the one thing in my life that's not there because it has to be, or it should be, or it's supposed to be. He grunts, a guttural sound as he triple sniffs. And I don't want to give you up. I'm not giving you up. And with that, he crushes me to him. Please, Sylvie, he whispers hoarsely. His tears drip onto my neck, and his body convulses quietly as he holds me so tightly I can barely breathe. I can't, I say. But I love you, Sylvie. What? I ask. What did he just say? I pull back to look at him. I wish I didn't, he says, with an almost smile through his tears. I don't want to, but I do. You don't have to do this, Trey, I say. You don't have to say things like that just because of this baby. It's not the baby, though, he says. It's you. It's you, Sylvie, he says. And his eyes, they're so damply earnest. And his lips, they whisper so tenderly in my ear that he just needs time to figure this out. But I want to figure it out, Sylvie, he says. I want to figure this out, and I will. For us, his hands moved to my stomach. For all of us, I will figure it out. There's an ache tugging at me all the way down from my feet into my lower stomach and my chest and my face. It's an ache so big, and I realize only now in this moment that it's tugged on me my whole life, pulling me this way and that into this man and that into dancing and partying and cocaine and videos and rappers and ball players and implants, tugging and tugging, pulling me along. And his presence was there under all of it. The first boy to eat me out at Aunt Cheney's house when no one was home when I was in ninth grade, Jamal Anderson. He was so sweet and so sincere and he really liked me. But I didn't feel him at all, I realize now. It was this other presence, a whiff of cologne, like a melody drifting on the wind, I can't remember, but I know I will, as soon as I hear it again. The sound of the rusty swing chain as he pushed me, the seat hot against the back of my legs, that one day in the park. I was five. I can't remember his face. It was brown. He'd always been easygoing, Aunt Cheney, Camille's mama, had said, but she hadn't said it in a nice way. Her lip had curled when she'd said it, but he'd pushed the swing very gently, I remember. That, I remember. Good job, Sylvie, he'd said, and my face had glowed with pride, even though all I was doing was kicking out my legs and blinking into the sun, getting a little closer to it with each push from him. The ache, it tugs now, deep in my womb. The baby inside, it's only the size of a what? A pin drop, an acorn, something tiny. But when Trey puts his hand on my stomach, it stirs. I feel it. 
It moves with the ache, moves with it, and dissolves it. I reach up and I wipe Trey's tears from under his eyes, from under his cheeks. He is just a man, after all. But he's my man. We will, I say. We will figure this out. I'm folding laundry five days later, listening to Miguel's coffee in the morning on Super Loud, and it's early and I'm sick and I'm smiling. I never wake up early, especially on a weekday, and I certainly never smile and fold clothes. I've always hated folding clothes. And of course, I hate being sick, but <laughs> I'm good. I'm so good. I'm waking up early on a weekday good. I have a man who loves me. He told me he loves me, y'all. And he's been calling and texting me every day. And I have a baby inside me that's still with me. I went back to the doctor yesterday, not for a checkup, but just so Trey could hear the baby's heartbeat. Bettina, the nurse practitioner who'd been so kind to me before, she wasn't there. It was a white nurse this time, one with a sour expression, but I didn't care. She'd rubbed the ultrasound monitor across my belly and I'd heard that heartbeat that sounded like a determined little pony thundering across a meadow, and I'd burst into tears. I'm sorry, I'd said immediately. The nurse had barely glanced at me, just kept rubbing the monitor across my belly, which was fine by me. Can you hear it? I'd asked Trey, who was on speakerphone all the way in D.C. I hear it, he'd said. I hear it, babe. We have been so good. It's like a dream. I call him and he answers. And if he doesn't pick up, he texts me that he'll call me back. And then he calls me back. But I don't even have to call him that much. He calls me more than I call him. I think every once in a while, it's good to go off on a man. Not all the time, of course, but just every once in a while. It's good for him to see that fire, that flash reminds him that he can lose you. And in my case, it led to coffee in the morning. We stayed, or rendezvoused, as Trey called it, in his office for two more glorious hours before the rest of his staff returned on L Day, the day we declared our love for each other. We turned on Pandora, and that was the first song that came on, Coffee in the Morning by Miguel. And Trey said that's exactly how he felt about me, and declared it our song. I do just want to watch you sleep, he'd said. And I'd giggle, and he'd squeezed me. I reached for the speaker remote beside me to turn up the sound even more. Oh, souls have found a new religion. Now I'm swimming in that sin. Baptism, peach colored skies reveal a sunrise. Two lost angels discover salvation. Trey had sung the word softly to me, tracing the outline of my breath. Are we swimming in sin, though? I'd asked. Trey had laughed. Let's focus on all the other words in the song, he'd said. So that's what I'm doing. I'm focusing on the fact that Trey and I really are two lost angels. I'm thanking God that he brought us together in baptism. I fold a white shirt of mine and realize we're going to have to get the baby baptized and we're going to have to get it. No, not it, him or her, a little white outfit. Pretty soon, I'm going to be folding little baby clothes and just for a moment. I allow myself to remember my little baby girl, the one I never got to hold or see. And I look up toward heaven, and Camille looms over me with outstretched arms. 
I scream, throw the shirt, and leap up and behind the couch. What the fuck? I scream. She drops the remote, presses the decrease volume button until all sound is gone, and drops the remote back on the couch. I've been standing here a full two minutes trying to get your attention, heifer, she says. Well, you can't just roll up on people unannounced like that, Camille, I say. You nearly gave me a fucking heart attack. Jesus fucking Christ. I hold up my hands and they're shaking. My whole body is shaking. Camille chuckles. I kept calling your name, but you were grinning to yourself and singing your little song and folding your little laundry, she says. Well, just because you have an emergency spare key doesn't mean you can walk in any old time, I say. It's for emergencies, only like if I lose my key. Not strolling up whenever you get the notion. Well, nobody trying to scare you, Sylvie, says Camille. Well, you did, I snap, smoothing down my t-shirt. Scaring people like that endangers people's health, especially people who are, who are, shit. I'd almost slipped and said pregnant. People who are listening to their music way too fucking loud. Camille finishes for me, thankfully oblivious to my stammering. Girl, calm the fuck down. Camille sets down her purse. Some shiny purple number she probably got from TJ Maxx for $49.99 and thinks she's really doing something with on the coffee table. But I'm here because Maya needs some of your costume jewelry for some school project. And I won't have time to come by later after work since I have to get the kids. She surveys my apartment, which I have done up in soft pastels and crystals. Something is different in here, she says. This observant bitch... I swear to God, Camille could work for the fucking FBI or CIA or KGB or whatever. This bitch can sniff out anything. Fuck, have I left out any of those nasty-ass crackers? If she sees them, she'll know what's up immediately. She knows how much I hate them, but that they're the only thing I can keep down when I'm pregnant. Oh, you got no candles, she says, walking over to my credenza. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, I sure did, I say. Breathing a sigh of relief as Camille bends, sniffs the candles. Actually, Trey just got them for me, so I'm sure they're literally the highest quality candles in the world. Oh, girl, they smell good, says Camille. She straightens. Well, look, I am sorry I scared you and dropped by unannounced first thing in the morning and nearly killed me, I say. I don't see any crackers out. I know there are some in the master bathroom, but she doesn't have any reason to go in there. There's a half bath out here. Camille rolls her eyes at my words. But you know how Maya is about her little school stuff, she says. And you know I don't feel like going to work anyway, so I figured I'd just come by before work and be late. I thought your job was on the other side of town, I say. It is, she confirms. So you're going to be super late then, aren't you? I say. Camille checks her reflection in my living room mirror, purses her lips, and looks quite satisfied with what she sees. She does keep her makeup on point. Man, listen. Them white folks are lucky I'm even coming in today. She says, I will get there when I motherfucking get there. Okay? Okay. I roll my eyes inwardly. Camille talks so much shit about her job, but does not and will not do anything to actually leave. That would mean actually doing something about her problem, and Camille loves having problems so she can complain all day. So what's Maya's project about, I ask. On second thought, knowing Camille's nosy ass, I better go put away those crackers in my bedroom and bathroom. Just because she has no reason to go somewhere doesn't mean she won't just go to go. 
Child, please, hell if I know, says Camille. It's not even due for two weeks, but you know Maya. I don't know where that child came from with her going above and beyond ass. But you know my baby's white smart. She chuckles. My baby be up in that school kicking them white kids' asses. Tiana, on the other hand, that bitch. She rubs her eyes. Speaking of which, you got some aspirin? Don't call Tiana a bitch, Camille, I say. Don't tell me how to talk about my child, Sylvie. Sorry for saying you shouldn't call your child a literal bitch, I say. I shake my head and go to the master bathroom. Look, bitch, Camille calls, loud enough for me to hear as I rummage through the bathroom drawers for my bottle of aspirin. When you birth and raise a child, then you can tell me what and what not to call mine, okay? In the meantime, just go get me some aspirin. Do you know this little girl's been skipping her PSAT class? Wasting all my goddamn money knowing good and goddamn well how I feel about going into that job every goddamn day. I'm telling you, Sylvie, them people got one more time to fuck with me before I... Camille's voice trails off. Before you quit, I fill in for her, rolling my eyes as I walk back into the living room. You ain't going nowhere, Camille, I say. But Camille isn't in the living room. She's in the kitchen, staring at the kitchen table staring at the half-open package of the nasty-ass crackers I apparently left there. Fuck. Fuck. She picks it up. What you got these nasty-ass crackers here for? She asks, turning up her nose as she looks at them. You only eat those when you're... She looks up at me, understanding, dawning. Motherfucker, she says softly. What? I say weakly, snatching the crackers from her. I, I like these. You hate these, she says, snatching them back. But they're the only thing you can keep down when you are pregnant. I start to try to take it back, to act like it's not true. But I can't, and I don't want to. I'm happy. So I smile, and then I snatch the pack back and pop one into my mouth. And then I try on the words. I am pregnant, I say. And then I laugh. I'm pregnant, I say again louder. I am pregnant, I shout, prego. Camille just stares at me, her mouth open, and I roll my eyes. Okay, go ahead, I say. Go ahead and what? She asks. Go ahead and rain all over my parade, I say. But I'm warning you, I wag a finger in her face. It's not going to work this time. Camille just stares at me some more, and then she sits down on one of the kitchen table chairs. Go ahead, Camille, I say, crossing my arms. Okay, she says, as if to say, you asked for it, but I didn't really. I anticipated it. I don't know how else to say this except to say it, so I'm going to go ahead and say it. Because whatever it is has to be said, right? I offer sarcastically. Yes, it does. So go ahead, I say, because I really don't give a fuck this time. This is irresponsible, Sylvie, says Camille. I mean, you have no idea what goes into raising a child, how much time they require from you physically, emotionally, financially. And speaking of money, what are you going to do? Stay hostessy? No, I'm not, I say. I pull myself up taller. I'm going to start life coaching. Camille stares up at me and then bursts out laughing. <laughs> Please, girl, please tell me you are joking, she says. I'm not joking, I say. Trace says, oh, God, wait. 
Camille interrupts. Trey says, and let me guess, he really is married, but he's leaving his wife to start a whole new life with you. And you're going to be a life coach. And it's all going to work out like some fairy tale. I hang my head. When she says it like that, it all sounds so stupid. It's not like that, I say. Oh, yes, it is, Camille says. And just what do you plan to life coach people about? How to be a home wrecker? How not to have a job when you get pregnant by a married man? I bet his dumbass told you that shit while y'all were fucking. Something like, I want you to have my baby, Sylvie. And that's why you didn't make him use a condom. And your dumbass believed him. I walk into the living room and plop on the couch, moving the now cold laundry over. I don't even want to fold it anymore. Camille has ruined everything for me in a matter of 10 minutes. And Trey wasn't fucking me when he said that. He was making love to me. And he still means what he says when we're making love. Sylvie, look. Camille has followed me into the living room. I just want you to think about what you're doing here, honey. Don't honey me after making my whole life a joke. And this is why I didn't want to tell you, I say. This is why I don't like to tell you anything. I grab a shirt to fold it, but end up throwing it to the floor. I told Jamie it would go down just like this. Just as soon as the words were out of my mouth, that you'd come and ruin everything for me. Camille's eyes narrow. You told Jamie before you told me. I stand facing her. I sure did tell her, and I'm glad I did so I'd have someone to celebrate with me. Camille's perfectly threaded eyebrows raise. And you really think Jamie doesn't see what a train wreck all this is? She says. Even if she does what she doesn't, she's still happy that I'm having this baby. I say, whatever, says Camille. She sits down. Jamie's just fake as fuck when it comes to shit like this. She'll be all, aw, isn't that sweet? Sylvie's going down a terrible road, but I don't want her to think I'm mean, so I'll just smile in her face, knowing good and well I'd never do anything like that in my own life. Camille picks up the shirt I threw down and folds it. You better not have told Sabrina, too, she goes on. How are you making this about you, I demand? Who gives a fuck who I told first? Camille jumps to her feet. Um, I do, she yells, because I'm the one who's going to be there, Sylvie. You think Jamie and Sabrina are actually going to watch that child when it gets here? You think they're going to wipe his snotty nose or his shitty little ass? Don't you call my child an it. It's a he or a she, I yell back. What the fuck ever? Those bitches will plan a shower and buy you baby clothes and be ooing and, and awing all over the place about how cute you look in your maternity clothes. But once that little fucker is here screaming his head off and projectile shit and breast milk all over the place, you think they're going to stop what they're doing and come over and give you a break? Yes, I yell. I do because they're my friends. Bitch, please. Camille sits down. You so damn naive. I thought the same thing when Tiana was born, that she was going to be like all of our baby, like we were in some Disney movie. But when it came down to it, she was mine and she was mine alone. She looks up at me. While Larry was out doing one of his disappearing acts, I did that shit alone, Sylvie. When Maya was born, I didn't even ask them for help. You see, this is what Camille does. Shits all over my life and then makes it about her. Classic Camille but I drag in a breath and sit beside her because as much shit as she talks, her ass will be there for me. Why can't you just be happy for me? I ask. 
I'm not not happy for you, says Camille. She puts a hand on mine. But you are making some big mistakes, Sylvie, and I'm not going to sit by and not tell you the truth. She leans forward. This guy is married, Sylvie, she says softly. He is married. Do you get that? And he is not leaving his wife for you, no matter how good you fuck him or how strong y'all's connection is or whatever the fuck. It's not just about fucking and, and our connection means something, I say, but it comes out wilted. And I hate Camille because now I'm thinking, what if she's right? What if he doesn't intend to have anything to do with the baby once it's born? I mean, he or she is born. He plans to run for president in a few years, and not in the bullshit way children say they want to be president, but for real, for real. There's no way knocking up the side chick and then raising the baby with her can really be a part of his plan. Blink back tears, and she takes my hand in hers. Jamie and Sabrina are our friends, but I'm your family, says Camille, and I love you, and that's why I'm telling you all this. She pulls me to her big chest like she used to do when we were younger, and I close my eyes, letting the tears fall, and she rocks me slowly, and I am weak, but she is strong enough for the both of us, and knows exactly what to do, like she used to when we were younger, when Adrian Jerrigan and Lisa Holden jumped me in sixth grade because I was new, although it really was because all the boys liked me. It was Camille who left her eighth grade class and beat the shit out of both of them for me. When Mr. Shippa... My 10th grade chemistry teacher made a pass at me. Camille is the one who marched into his classroom after school and told him she would have him fired and put in prison if he didn't arrange to have me transferred out of his class immediately. Camille is my ride or die. I love you, Sylvie, she says now, and she makes her voice soft again. And I burrow deeper into her bosom. It's so soft there. You know this, she goes on. And I know I may not say everything the way you want me to, but what should I do? I whisper, just tell me what to do. End it with this guy, she says with certainty. And I know she is right. Camille always knows exactly what to do. End it with him and... She pauses but doesn't stop her rocking motion. And what, I say... Don't have this baby, she says. Twenty-something minutes later, Camille slams my front door so hard my vanity mirror beside it falls to the ground, shatters. I let it stay there. I sit down on my couch, dazed. What happened after Camille told me not to have my baby was a blur. I do remember going stiff. So stiff my tears froze. Camille's voice blurred to a hum that vibrated in my ears. Who knows what the fuck she was saying. I sat up, and I saw, or rather remembered, Camille for what she was. An overbearing, fucking asshole bitch of a human being. She continued stroking my arm. You want me to abort this baby, I said. The statement was dry as twigs. A fact stated. And true to form, Camille didn't even try to soften it up. Yes, she said plainly. I mean, I don't want you to. I didn't want you to the other times either, but I do know that. And 
that's what it was. And that's what it's always been. This bitch, just like her fucking mother, just knowing everything. Even what I should do with my body and my baby. Excuse me, Camille bellowed. I do remember that. Camille hopped to her feet and was standing over me, looming over me again, rather. I told her to get the fuck out of my house. I remember that, too. And don't you forget, we took your black ass in when you didn't have shit where else to go. We did that shit for you, Sylvie, Camille yelled. I haven't forgotten because you won't let me forget, I yelled back. You know what? You know what? I'm done. I'm done, she roared. Good. Good. I'd shouted at the top of my lungs, and it felt so good to stand up to her because I haven't forgotten certain things either. Things like what? She demanded. But you know what? I don't even want to know what bullshit you trying to... Oh, that sounds about right, I interrupted. I sat back down, and then Camille looked at me from across the room, incredulous. In all our years of knowing each other, I'd never really come back at her, never even really cursed at her. But then she'd never actually recommended for me that I not have a child. Who the fuck actually has the nerve to say that to someone? I am done, Camille swears. I am done fucking with your dependent and ungrateful ass good. I shrieked. I'm going to get that stupid ass jewelry for Maya. Camilla stomped toward the bedroom and then stopped mid-stride. You know what? Fuck the jewelry too. I'll just have to tell her that mommy couldn't stay at our trifling ass auntie's house a second longer and she'll just have to get a bad grade this one time. She'd stomped to the couch, snatched up her cheap ass purple purse, stomped to the front door, opened it, and then turned around, being Camille. Needing the last word. I just cannot believe she'd stopped to gather herself. I just cannot believe that after all the times I have been there for you, I went with you to those abortions, even though that shit is against my religion. Your religion? I repeated incredulously. You don't even go to church. The only time your ass goes to church is when you get married. You don't know the last time I was in church, Camille snaps. What, you think I call you every time I go? And I don't have to be in church every Sunday to be a believer. Whatever, Camille, I say. Whatever, Camille. How about you whatever all the times I was there for you, that we were there for you? My mama took you in when your own couldn't be there, and you have never once said thank you to her. Really, Camille, I would said, crossing my arms. You really want to get into that? Oh, so now she's crossed her arms, everybody, Camille taunted. Sylvie means business now, everybody. I had laughed. Please tell dear Aunt Shanae that I said thank you so much for all the judgment and unhappiness she brought to me, I said. Don't you ever talk about my mama like and tell her that nobody gets to take this baby from me. Tell her that, I would said. And Camille had gone ashen under her bronzer. Because I'd done it. I'd spoken of the unspeakable thing of which we never speak, ever. So here was Camille, after I spoke of the unspeakable thing of which we never speak, ever. Curse word. Curse word, curse word, curse word, curse word, curse word, curse word. Curse word, 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 curse word. 
Curse word. Curse word, curse word, curse word, curse word. Curse word, curse word. Exit Camus. I lie down now beside the laundry, almost giddy with my newfound freedom. <laughs> I done it. I had stood up to Camille. After all these years, I'd done it. She'd predictably fussed and screamed as best she could, but we both knew who'd won this shit, and we both knew it was big. I pick up the phone because I have to tell Trey about this. I have to tell him how I stood up to Camille, really for the first time ever, and I found the strength to do so because of this baby, our baby, because of my love for him and his love for me, because of us. And I can't reach him. He's not picking up any of his phones, and I have all of them. His work cell, his personal cell, his office. What if she's right? Panic bubbles in my guts. Panic and nausea. I have to eat. I try his personal cell again. His work phone. Nothing. Breathe, Sylvie. Breathe. I stand, pick up one foot, then the other, repeating until I reach the kitchen table. What if she's right? I tear open the package of nasty-ass crackers still there. Eat one. Eat them all. Bolt for the bathroom to puke it all up. Sylvie done talked about Camille's mama, Aunt Shanae. Well, I also want to mention my first novel, Asburn. You can check that out at lesliequigless.com too. While um, episodes is on hiatus, you can read that. And yes, you do have to buy it, but you can check out the first few chapters for free on my website, which again is lesliequigless.com. Again, thank you all so much for listening. I hope you are well and peace out for now. Take it away, Arden. If you want more info from my mommy, please visit LeslieCookless.com. Deuces.